0: Love dedication, so that's, that's a super cool thing. and I, I think it's a great illustration, maybe a great start, even uh, a great picture of the message today that we're going to be talking about as we continue our series, Who Do You Think You Are? <laughs> right? and we talk about our identity as Christ followers. Last week, we kind of kicked off the series by looking at uh, what we said was our kind of our core identity as worshipers. We're reminded that if you are a follower of Jesus, then your life is not primarily about you, but it's primarily to bring glory to another, Right? primarily to to worship and to lift up and to honor God with our lives and uh, with both our lips and with our lives. And so today uh, we're going to kind of continue with the time we've got left and want to talk about our identity as disciples of Jesus Christ. Because whether you know it or not, whether you feel like it or not, if you have opened up your heart and your life to Christ, then you are a disciple. It's what the Bible calls you. It's, it's what we're called to. It's how life works best. It's a part of your identity um, as a Christian. It's part of God's design, and even part of his perfect plan for you is to live that, live out the, your identity as a wholehearted disciple of Jesus studying this week and realized the word disciple actually shows up 269 times in the New Testament. So is that quite a bit? Yeah, it's a ton. It shows up over and over and over again. By far, I mean, almost second to none. There's barely any other reference to people that are Jesus followers. They're called disciples over and over and over. It's because this is the identity of every Christian. Dallas Willard, he's a writer I love. Uh, says this. He says, a disciple of Jesus is not like a deluxe or a heavy-duty model of a Christian, especially padded, textured, streamlined and empowered for the fast lane on the straight and narrow way. He says, no, a disciple stands on the pages of the New Testament as just the first level of basic transportation on the kingdom of, in the kingdom of God. In other words, he's saying, if you're a Christian, you're a disciple, right? That's what you are. There's no distinction. God doesn't call some to be Christians and others to be disciples. No, he calls all of us to be disciples, not Just church attenders, not just good people or even good Christian people. He calls you and He calls me to be followers and disciples of of Jesus Christ. I remember hearing a number of years ago uh, great stuff from a guy by the name of Ray Vandalon. He's a teacher, uh, does all kinds of incredible stuff on Holy Land. And uh, sometime you might might be able to be in a Bible study. We'll we'll do these uh, periodically. But the, the this stuff, phenomenal, jaw-dropping, always opens my eyes uh, to understand more of the Bible and more of the context of of where the Bible was written. But um, he did some great stuff uh, one time on the the relationship between Jewish rabbis or Jewish teachers in that day and their followers, and what what they would refer to them as disciples or their students or or whatever else, apprentices, that kind of thing, and uh, really opened my eyes up. what a disciple really is, because it's not a word that we use all that much, or at least in a positive way in our culture. But anyway, it was a common occurrence for all of the teachers, all of the rabbis in Jesus' day to have followers whom they were apprenticing, disciples, so to speak. In a small country with only a very small population, these religious leaders understood it's a big deal to pass on the faith, to pass on uh, your religious beliefs to the next generation and the next one, and the next one. Without it, it it would be wiped out within a matter of, of years, right, and it would be wiped out in no time. So they would pass on their faith, and the primary way that they would do that is they would take young people, and they would apprentice them for for pretty much their entire lives. They would teach them and help these students to learn how to follow their instructions and their beliefs and kind of pass on those kinds of things. Now, it was a huge deal to get selected To be a disciple of a rabbi. Rabbis were the most respected, the best educated, the most powerful, best in the brightest that the country had to offer. It was a very prestigious role. And to be selected to be a disciple or an apprentice was a huge deal. It was every kid's dream that one day they could go on to become a rabbi or a teacher. If you were the best in the best, you you would likely be selected to to, uh, become a disciple and one day to become a rabbi. So rabbis chose very carefully. they would. This was, a, again, a very selective sort of process. They would gather uh, some of the best and the brightest, some that got the best on their ACT scores or something, I don't know, whatever, Bible ACT scores. And they would send them around in a circle, and they would quiz them uh, on their knowledge of Scripture. Of course, all of the candidates uh, would have the first five books of the Bible memorized. All of them, every kid in Israel, right, would have the first five books of, of the Bible memorized. Uh, that was a given. But they wanted to go beyond that, beyond just being able to, to, to recite uh, what was written. They wanted to get into understanding And Do you understand what you're reading? And uh, the question that they're asking in the back of their head is, do, do you have what it takes to become like me? Do you have what it takes to become like your rabbi, that I could pass on sort of the mantle of leadership and the mantle of teacher and the mantle uh, of rabbi to you? And uh, again, for those that were the best and the brightest, that they looked at and they saw, they said, you know what, I think you could, I think you could become like me. They would say these words, it was almost like code in that, but they would say these words, so they'd they'd say, come and follow me. It was an invitation to become a disciple. Come and follow me. They they would say. And then at that point these would these disciples would leave their parents. They're usually thirteen or fourteen years old by the way. They would leave their families, their working, their schooling, their everything else behind, and they would go and follow the rabbi and they would live with them and they would imitate them. And the whole idea is they would wanna be like their rabbi. So like, you know, in that day, rabbis had special prayers or special blessings that they would do. And so the rabbi would walk in and he would say, whatever, may God bless you. And so the disciples would come in, what would they say? They'd say, may God bless you. They would have special prayers that they would pray for all different things as they were walking along the road, they'd have special prayers that they'd pray. And the disciple would walk behind them and would pray those prayers. They would want to do what the rabbi did, they'd want to say what the rabbi said, they want to pray the way the rabbi prayed. They wanted to become like their teacher. That's what a disciple is. Now I want you to keep this in mind. So, so so that whole picture in mind. Now listen to these verses from the lips of Jesus, and you tell me what's going on here. Matthew 4, starting with verse 18, says this. It says, there it is. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee. and they followed him. Do you kind of see what's happening? Jesus is going along. He identifies some people, and he says the key words, right? Come follow me. It's an in- What is he doing? He's recruiting. Okay, that was pretty weak. I kind of did a big setup there. <laughs> what was he doing? He was recruiting disciples, right? He was a calling for disciples. He was saying, come follow me. Come and let me teach you. Come and walk with me. Come and learn from me. Jesus is calling disciples. They left their past ways behind. They left their dad in the boat, some of them did, and they followed Jesus. They devoted their lives to becoming like him. These men understood that they weren't just going to be going to church or becoming good Christian people. They understood that they were now disciples of Jesus Christ. And I want you to see this because because this happens on the front end of of Jesus' ministry. He he gathers these disciples. He spends three years pouring his life into them, right? Teaching them how to pray, how to connect with the Father, how to serve, how to love, how to everything, right? He he pours into them for three years. And then, uh, of course, we know the rest of the story. Jesus goes to the cross. He ends up dying for the sins of the people, which is us. He's, but that's not the end of the story, right? He, he's resurrected from the dead. He spends another period with his followers, teaching them, giving them last instructions. And at the very last, just before he is, he returns back to the Father, he's taken up before their eyes, very last thing, he gives them sort of their, their standing orders. And this is how I want you to live your lives until I return, until I come back. And this is what he says in Matthew 28. It says, then Jesus came and he said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and what does that say? Make converts. Is that what it says? Make. Therefore, go and make church attenders. Is that what it says? What does it say? Therefore, go and make. make disciples. See, there you go. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. In the New Testament, as I said before, the followers of Christ were never called church members. They were never called converts. They were called believers two times. They were called Christians three times and only in a descriptive kind of way. The other 269 times they're referred to as disciples because it's who they are. It's their identity. Even Jesus calls them and he says, you know what you're going to spend the rest of your lives doing is going and making other disciples. If you and I are a Christian, if we have opened up our heart and life to Jesus, then you are a disciple. Whether you feel like it or not, whether you want it or not, right? I mean, you remember signing up? If you, if you are a follower of Jesus are a disciple. Now let me just uh, kind of dig into that a little bit because, like I said, it's not something we're real familiar with. And so I want to give you three kind of pictures or three kind of snapshots of what is a disciple and what does that look like to live as one in our day and age, in our culture, uh, in our world. So the first thing I just want to mention is a disciple is really a committed follower of Christ, a follower of Jesus. You know, hit that next slide? I, I skipped a couple of scriptures. That's okay. don't know. Go ahead, baby. Keep it on track. drag. Go, next. Next. There it is. Committed follower. Well, that's looking funky. <laughs> I don't know what happened with that. But anyway, a disciple is a committed follower, uh, in, in this case, of Jesus, right? There's sort of an understanding that if a rabbi calls you in that day and age, you go, right? It's a, it's a great opportunity opportunity of a lifetime. But there's also an understanding that you're making a commitment to go and to be with them, to follow them, to imitate them, to serve them. And it's not one to be taken lightly. It involves leaving your old life behind, as I mentioned. It involves change. It also involves a new master and a new lifestyle. There's a commitment involved. A disciple is a committed follower of their master. And Jesus never minimized this kind of commitment. Listen to this, Luke 14, 26 Jesus says this about being a disciple. If anybody comes to me and doesn't hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Now, it's a little bit of hyperbole, right? I mean, he's he's, he's exaggerating the point. He's painting this huge picture to say, man, there's no, there's no halfway in this deal. Like either I need to be first or you're not going to live as a disciple. Either I need to be number one or this, this isn't going to work, right? You've got to come and follow me. And there's a commitment involved. Become like me. Jesus is clear that he expects that number one spot in our lives. There's no such, such thing as a, a lukewarm or a halfway disciple without cost or without commitment. Martin Luther one time said this, he said, "A religion religion that gives nothing, costs nothing, and suffers nothing, is worth nothing. The thing is, I'm not sure, just thinking about it, I'm not sure as American Christians, I'm not sure most of us really embrace this whole identity of being a committed disciple of Jesus. Mostly I think we're committed to our own comfort, to our own plans, to our own happiness or whatever. We may attend church sometimes uh, if we don't have anything better that comes up. But we'll, we'll sit there in church. We'll throw a few bucks in the plate. We'll think, that's it. That's it. That's what, that's all that can be expected, right? What else can God want from me, right? I, I come and I do the thing. I put on the happy face. I sing the songs. And then I walk out. And, and I'll tell you what, friends. The Bible knows nothing of that kind of religion because Jesus calls us to be his disciples, calls us to come, to open up our hearts and life, to to leave the past behind and to step into something new and I might add, infinitely better. He says, come follow me. Come put me first. Come and walk in my ways and see if if it's not better. Because it it really is. It really is. But, But it'll require change. It'll require transformation. It'll require a commitment to follow him. A disciple of Jesus is a committed follower. They're submitted to following Christ. There's a price that must be paid. They're committed to him and to following him and to becoming like him. Second thing, and this one's the obvious one, right? A student or learner, literally, that's what a disciple is, it's what it means. A disciple is a student. In Matthew 28, when Jesus gives the great commission we just read to go and make disciples, he calls them then to teach them because that's what a disciple is. is somebody that learns, right? A rabbi is literally means a teacher, and his disciples are learners. A disciple is continually growing, continually learning about God, about his master, learning how to walk with him, how to become more like him, that sort of a thing. I was amazed uh, when I read this week, uh, I mentioned earlier that uh, that pretty much all kids in Israel, by the time from from their sixth birthday till their eighth birthday, would spend uh, their days memorizing the first five books in the Old Testament. So, so I mean, think about that. They had to memorize Leviticus. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, it's jaw-dropping to me. But they they spent time memorizing. So every eight-year-old kid that you'd run into had memorized the, the first five books of the Bible, jaw-dropping. Those that showed promise that maybe were in a kind of a preparation mode that they thought maybe they could be a rabbi, they would have the entire Old Testament memorized by their 13th birthday. Think of that, the entire Old Testament. This is like jaw-dropping kind of stuff to me. But I, I just have to say, that's their commitment as learners. That's before they were chosen to apprentice to be a disciple of a rabbi. And then, of course, from there, they would, they would continue to teach them, and they'd learn and grow from there. But as I was thinking of that, I was just thinking, man, we have a hard time just having a quiet time, right? <laughs> just just have, reading some version of the Bible during the week. In fact, uh, the stats would say uh, very few of us open up the Bible on a daily basis, right? Even, you know, uh, very, very few would even open, open up and read anything uh, during any given week. I just wonder... Again uh, just kind of I, I read this and I think about this and I say, man, I wonder if some of us just need to kind of kind of redouble our efforts to walking as a disciple saying, you know what a disciple is somebody that seeks that wants to learn that wants to grow that wants to lean in and hear the heartbeat of God that wants to get to know his word more and more and more that wants to hear his voice and know his presence I wonder if you and I are living our lives as disciples if we're committed to to follow, followers of Jesus, and if we're learners like that with that insatiable appetite to know God more, to not just sit in church or not just do a good thing here and there, but to really know God, and to lean in. A disciple is a learner, somebody that's constantly growing, learning, being stretched, becoming more like their master. It takes us to the third one. And this is where I'm going to spend a little more, more time, but the third one is a disciple is an imitator of of Christ. They're an imitator of the rabbi. Again, I've kind of set this up. But they don't just stop with learning information. That alone isn't being a disciple. Just learning about God, just memorizing his book, that makes you religious. It doesn't necessarily make you a disciple because a disciple is somebody that actually takes that knowledge and puts it into practice in their lives. Right? They don't just read that like, oh, you should love somebody. (laughs) They actually love somebody. They don't just read that, oh, you should... Tell the truth, and oh, I memorized that, and I did all the. They actually tell the truth, like whatever, right? I mean, they're actually putting this stuff into practice. You go back to Matthew 28, that, that great commission that we were talking about where he says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teach them, but it doesn't stop there. It says, teach them to obey all I have commanded you. Because that's what disciples do, right? They they don't just learn, but they learn to put it into practice in their lives. Disciples are men and women that have learned to be imitators of God. Ephesians 5 1 puts it out. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children. We're to imitate Jesus. I read. a story this week I thought it was great. Lane, Lane Adams, a guy, he once compared the process of spiritual growth to uh, the strategy the Allies used during World War II to liberate islands in the South Pacific. He says, oftentimes they would soften up an island, quote unquote, weakening the resistance by shelling the enemy strongholds with bombs from offshore ships. Next, a small group of Marines would invade the island and establish what he called a beachhead, a tiny fragment, a small portion of the island that they could control. Once the beachhead was secured, uh, they would begin the long process of liberating the rest of the island, one bit of territory at a time, and eventually the entire island would be brought under control, but not without some costly battles. Adams drew this parallel. He says, before Christ invades our lives at conversion, he sometimes softens us up a bit by allowing problems that we can't handle. Anybody ever experienced that? Yeah, I think all of us probably have. While some open their lives up the first time he knocks at the door, most uh, most of the time there's some resistance or there's some defensiveness on our own part. He says our pre-conversion experience is Jesus saying, behold, I stand at the door and bomb, he says. <laughs> anyway, he says the moment you open yourself to Christ, God gets a beachhead in your life. You may think that you have surrendered all of your life to him, but the truth is there's oftentimes lots of our lives we don't even know, right, that we're still holding on to, that we are still under control of. You can only give to God as much as you understand at that moment, and that's okay. Once Christ has given a beachhead in our lives, He begins the campaign to take over more and more and more of our heart and our life until we are completely His. Sure, there will be struggles, there will be battles, there will be times when we wrestle with Him over different portions of our lives, but the outcome will never be in doubt. God has promised that He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. Living your life as a disciple is the continual process of, of conforming our lives to Christ's image, to becoming more and more and more like Jesus. it requires change, it requires obedience. Right? Christ's likeness is your eventual destination, but the journey will last a lifetime. Discipleship is allowing God to change our thoughts and our attitudes and our behaviors, our whole being. Uh, until our whole being conforms to the image of Christ. It's a process of God of transforming us to become like Jesus, to be imitators of him, not just learning, but becoming like him. When we were kids, uh, I was thinking this week, when we were kids, we used to play a game called Simon Says. Remember this game? So, you say, Simon Says, pat your head. What do you do? You pat your head. Simon Says, hop on one foot, and you hop on one foot, right? Kind of thing. Simon Says, whatever. And in fact, if you didn't do that and Simon said it, what happens? You're out, right? You're out. so I have to say, the whole process of discipleship, we've made it into something different. But the whole process of discipleship, I'm not not sure is any more complex than that. I don't don't know why, but we've we've made it into this weird American Christian thing where we say, oh, yeah, Jesus says that we should uh, feed the hungry. But we think, man, that really moves me, right? I mean, I am deeply impacted by that. We think think we're good just by feeling it or by giving, you know, agreement in our minds or in our souls, saying, oh, yeah, we should totally do that. We have studies about it. We do all kinds of things. And yet God is is continually pushing us and saying, no, it's not enough just to know it or to learn it or to agree with it. He wants us to do it, Right? it's it's part of what being a disciple looks like. Not just knowing, but doing. Not just knowing, but putting it into practice. It's not just about going to church sometimes, or trying to be a good Christian person, or anything like that. It's not just about what we believe in our hearts, but disciples become like their master. It's the way it has always been. It's what you and I are called to They've learned not only what Jesus says, but they're learning to do it and to live it out in their lives. Not perfectly, but on a trajectory saying, yes, more and more and more, God, make me like you. I want to love like you love. I want i want to share the truth the way you share the truth. I want to serve people the way you serve people. I want to learn to forgive the way you forgave. The way you can be on a cross and have people nailing you there with Unbelievable amounts of pain and you looking down and saying, Father, would you forgive them? Would you teach me to forgive the way you forgive. Would you teach me to pour out grace on those around me the way you pour out grace? Would you teach me to live by your truth the way you live by your truth? I want to become like you. It's a disciple. It's what we're called to. It's, it's what we want our kids to grow up into. It's what we want our families to be consumed with. It's who we are as a church. We're called to be disciples. Yes, people that are radically devoted and committed to following Jesus. saying, God, I'm all in. As much as I know, of, and as much as I'm to, I'm in. Take a beachhead in my life and continue to spread out until you own all of me. I am yours. And disciples are people with a with a just insatiable thirst to know God and to know his word and to lean in hard and listen and grow and learn, but not just learn, but then put it into practice in their lives so that we can have wisdom to know how to live, to know how to imitate, how to become like our rabbi. I wonder if you're living as a disciple these days. I wonder if I'm living as a disciple these days. It's convicting for all of us it's easy, I get that this is, it's sort of a downer of a message, so I apologize, but I I don't want us to forget here that actually, I mean, the same thing that those disciples discovered 2,000 years ago, the same truth is true now, and every disciple from then until now has discovered that it's not just, they didn't leave everything and abandon their boats and leave fishing to go off and do it because they had to, that's not what they did. They didn't. Jesus didn't come and drag them into a life of servitude to be disciples, right? I mean, that's not, that's not the deal. They chose to do it. You want to know why? Because it was an honor and because they knew and they, they eventually experienced that There's nothing better. There's nothing better than following Jesus. There's nothing better than becoming like him. There's nothing better than realizing the plans he has for your life. The plan he, plans he has for my life, the plans he has for his church and his community and this region, he has good plans in store. And man, I don't know about you, but I want to be a part of it. Not not begrudgingly, not because I have to I want to get dragged into it or something. <laughs> that never works. But I want my heart to be wide open and say, God, come and have your way because I believe you love me. Because I, I know that you have good plans and because I know there's some liberating that needs to be done in my own soul, in my own heart, in my own life. Teach me to live like you. Teach me to follow you. I'm yours. You know, there's uh, there's a great uh, spot in John. I'm kind of jumping around here, so I apologize. The tech guys are like, "Where are you, man?" But anyway, I'm gonna uh, I'm actually gonna wait on that one. Um, but there's a great spot at the end of um, the Gospel of John, and it's... it, it uh, find some of the same characters that we read, that, we read about earlier early in Matthew where Simon Peter is beside the Sea of Galilee and his, and his brother and Jesus came to him and he called them to be disciples. He said, come and follow me. And it's been three years now they've been walking with Jesus they've been following him and they come up to the, to the arrest of Jesus and the crucifixion of Jesus and Simon Peter blows it I mean, he's, he's had this honor given to him where he is a disciple, right, As a follower of Jesus. And even along the way, they're learning. They're like, I think this guy's the real deal. They're like, this Jesus, who else does this, right? At one point, at one point, uh, some of the crowd leaves and Jesus says, are you leaving too? And, and Peter chimes in and says, are you kidding me? Where else can we go, right? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and we know. You are the son of God. So they're buying it. They're believing this. They're, I mean, it, it's all going well, and then all of a sudden Jesus gets arrested, and he's going to be killed. And there's a moment in which his followers scatter. Simon Peter follows, but he follows from afar. Remember this? He's sitting around the campfire with some some servant girls and from some other people, and uh, and they, they look around and they say, "Hey, you're one. Of, you're one of his disciples. You're one of his disciples. It, it's you." And what does he say? Yeah. "Oh no, not me. I don't know. I don't know the man." Get away, I'm not his disciple, are you kidding? He blew it. In fact, so much so that he gets just discouraged and disillusioned, and he's, he's dragging butt, right? He goes back to fishing. It's just, it's over. I mean, he's just thinking, man, I don't know. It's over. And there's this great moment at the end of the Gospel of John where, uh, where Jesus appears to Simon Peter and the other disciples, but he appears to him in the same spot he called him, the Sea of Galilee. And he calls him to come. and he's, he's fishing. He's out fishing. And, you know, again, they're dragging butt and all that kind of stuff. Simon Peter recognizes. He's like, it's the Lord. He jumps out of his boat early and swims to shore, gets, gets up on shore, sits down at Jesus' feet. And Jesus has a meal with him. And he restores him. He forgives him. And at the end, he makes it clear. That he sends him back out to live his life as a disciple. And I have to say... Man, I don't know what God might be uh, saying to you today as we're talking about this whole identity, living our lives as disciples of Jesus. Maybe you're here, and maybe you're like, you know what? I screwed up too bad. There's no way. Right? I blew it. I was I was maybe chosen for that. Maybe that was an option for me back there. But I have blown it. I've screwed up. I've, I've walked away. I've I've denied Him. I've turned away from Him. I oh, wonder if that's you. I wonder if you just need to, to be reminded from the story of Simon Peter today and just, and just hear those words where Jesus comes and he forgives and he restores them. He says, now come and follow me. Come and follow me again. There is a second chance and a third chance and a fourth chance and a fifth chance. It's waiting for you today. If you'll receive it, if you'll turn towards him and just open up your heart and say, God, forgive me. Pour out your grace. Pour out your forgiveness. And with your help, I want to follow and become like you. Come and have a break. Maybe there's some of us that uh, that really are commitment to this whole deal has been pretty lightweight up until this point. Maybe today the to Living God is just saying, hey, would, you, would you come and follow me? It'll cost you, but it's worth it. Would you mm. open up your heart and life and say, yes, God, come come and lead me and God come and be my God and my Savior and with your help and with your power and with your strength, I'm going to follow take me to something better maybe there's an area of your life that the truth be told uh, you've been fighting, God's been trying to to take new ground in your life and you're saying oh heck no, right, I I don't want you to have my money I don't want you to have my relationship, I do not want to have to forgive, I do not want to have to Whatever. Fill in the blank. That's mine. And maybe today God is just reminding me and saying, you know what? It's time to, it's time just to open up your hands and your heart. Drop to your knees and just say, forgive me, God. Just take, take all of me. The, all that I know today, just come and have your way. I, I want to follow. It's best. It's best. It's better than anything else. I don't know what God might be saying to you, friends, but that's, not one thing I do know is that that's the life that you and I are called to. We're called to live as disciples of Jesus. Nothing short a full on commitment to him with a passion to grow and to become like him. So let's close in prayer. And that's our, our cry this morning. Just teach us teach us to come and, and be disciples to live our lives following you and becoming like you forgive us God forgive forgive all of us just for treating uh, this deal so flippantly for so quickly turning aside just to our own plans and our own agendas and our own whatever forgive us for the times that we've just completely blown it, and we've, uh, we've denied you in, in our actions in our attitudes in our hearts maybe even with our words would you forgive us and cleanse us because of the grace of Jesus that's been poured out for us. And would you teach us from this point forward, God, just to, to follow you and to step forward as your disciples. We need you. We belong, just to, to step into that and to live so close to you and in your ways and in your will. Just come and pour out your grace on us and give us your strength, your spirit to lead us forward. As your disciples, God, we need you. We love you. We pray that your kingdom would come and that your will would be done. In Jesus' name, we pray.